Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders Live. Thanks so much for joining us. We got a, a special conclusion today of a three part series out of Constitution Alive. So if you missed yesterday and the day before, don't worry. You're still going to learn a lot and enjoy today's program. But then you're going to want to go to wallbuilderslive.com, click on the archive section, and grab those other two programs yesterday and the day before because this is a three part series and today is the conclusion. What's the series about? It's about the enumerated powers of Congress. We're actually diving into Article 1, Section 8, and helping to illuminate what those constitutional jurisdictions of the federal government happen to be. We all know they're outside those jurisdictions. We all know that each branch operates outside their jurisdictions. But the only way we're going to put them in check and restore the constitutional republic is if we, the people, get educated on these things. So we're sharing with you Constitution Alive, Section 5 of Constitution Alive, right here on Wobblers Live. If you'd like the entire thing, you can get the full DVD set and the workbook at our website, wobblers.com. We encourage you to get it and share it with your friends and family. Let's jump in where we left off yesterday for the conclusion of Constitution Alive. They wanted us to always remember the government's use of power without our consent is tyranny. All right, David, I never asked you, you heard me talking about the uh, how I learned about the first war. The first war, I never exactly. asked you if during that radio program, could you tell that I had no idea what you were talking oh, about? No, or, no, 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 okay, no, I was just no, wondering no, about bluff, no. bluff my way scary. through that. Yeah, David, go ahead and tell. So seriously, about that first war on terror, I mean, we learned. Well, that first war on terror cha- changed the founding father's view on a lot of things. Now, one of which was the fact that, hey, you know, we don't negotiate with terrorists and, and we, we will take care of them. But this is this is really where we came to understand something the founding supposed. Because if you look back in the Declaration, one of the things that ticked him off with King George III was he kept a standing army among the people. And so back at the time of the Revolution and for a number of years thereafter, we didn't have forts. We didn't have bases. We didn't have places where we kept troops all the time. Our belief was anybody dumb enough to come to America, we'll call out the people again. We'll all grab our squirrel guns off the metal piece. That is our army. We're gonna... That's our army. I mean, we're ready for this because yeah. that's what we had done in the revolution. So we don't want a standing army because throughout Europe, wherever you had standing armies, they oppressed the people. So there, there was, and, and part of the way we took care of that in the Constitution was we made sure the commander in chief was civilian, not military. So we have total control of the military, not with military folks, but with civilian folks. And I will go back to part of even a previous president, the, the second president, where there was an actual impeachment proceeding, President Clinton, at the time they were talking about, you know, what he did in the White House and what he did with sexual relations and all these things to this, and why he would kick people out of the military for that, because the, the, the Uniform Code of Military Justice says you cannot fraternize with people, and that means sexual relations. And so, and I stood up and defended him and said, whoa, time out. He is not a military guy. You cannot use military standards on him. He actually is a civilian guy, and you can't use the, the UMJC with him. And because that's how we separated, that's how we kept the military. So, you know, I was actually defending. I, I was about to say that, but that says something about your integrity, because regardless of who it is, 
you stick with the principles. You apply the, the principles fairly to everybody. That's right. And, and, and it's got to work across the board that way. So w- with that being said, the founding fathers did not want to stand in military because they'd seen all the abuses. So part of keeping that standing military gone is you put limits on it. And one is you put it under civilian control so you can't have the kind of coups. You can't have the military-led coups. You can't have the, uh, the what, what happened throughout the revolution with billeting uh, British troops in American homes, et cetera. Yeah. But what they hadn't thought about was, we'll, we'll take care of you if you come here, but how do you protect your citizens that are abroad? Yeah. And that's what the, the, the first war on terror revealed. Cause so that was actually happening, what, I guess about three or four years before they met in Philadelphia for the Constitution. But at that point, it wasn't a big issue yet. We sent our, our first three uh, diplomats to negotiate, which was Franklin and Jefferson and, and John Adams. They went to, those three went to negotiate with five Muslim nations we were having trouble with that were attacking us. And the Muslim nations had a thing that if we see a flag on a ship of one of what they called the Christian nations, there were nine nations they called Christian nations, America is one of them, we will attack them because we're Muslims and we attack Christians and this is what gets us to heaven, et cetera. So you have international law that says, wait a minute, certain mile offshore, international waters, you can't mess with anybody's ship in international, all agreed to except by the terrorists. And so what would happen is our guys would go sailing into these areas, sailing in Mediterranean. We would go to Russia where we were, a good, we were a good partner with Russia as far as economic trade went. We would sail all over the Mediterranean and the various coasts and do shipping. And we would send stuff overseas, bring it back. And, you know, so all this stuff is going on. And every time these Muslim terrorists see an American flag, they attack the ship. Well, because there is international law, your your merchant ships aren't outfitted with guns. They'll have maybe two or three cannon on them. So if you get in a fog and fire the gun off, people hear the cannon, they know there's a ship. But no way to defend. No way to defend. Yeah. You know, you, you got you got a few few small cannon, usually two or three. But these Muslim terrorists are coming against them with 64 gun brigs. Now you put that up against the merchant ship. No chance. There's no chance. Yeah. So what you do is you capitulate, and at that point, Muslims first were killing the Americans. They said, "Whoa, wait a minute, got a better deal. Let's ransom them. We'll sell them back." Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling and if you'll click on that tab you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers bios to events that are already going on and there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are where we came from our religious liberties and freedoms go to the wall builders website and bring a speaker to your area And so we have in this library a number of letters from guys who were captives of the Muslims and wrote back home saying, here's what's happened to us, and et cetera. Here's what they're doing to us. Uh, one guy wrote, wrote his wife and said, 
this is probably the last word you'll ever hear from me because of the way they treat us here. You'll probably never. That's all right. I've made peace with Jesus. I'm ready to go. So it's a very, very compelling letter. So this is going on. And, and so what happens is over that period of time, Muslims took about 1.5, 1.25 million slaves. And they, they made these guys slaves. And so not just Americans, these other eight nations. Is That's over a period of uh, over years. Over right? 30 years with, with nine nations. And so what they generally would do is say, okay, if you're a sailor on a ship, we'll sell you back to America for 1500 bucks. If you're an officer, you're going to get 4500 for you. And if you're a captain, we'll get 6500 bucks for you. So they would sell these crews back to America. And essentially, we're financing their war against America. Mm. We're giving them all this money. And that's where we started saying, hey, we'll give you a million a year and give you three ships if you'll just stop attacking us. And that's where, as you mentioned, Jefferson had it. He was not going to put up with that anymore. But it was Washington who first came to that, that grips that, you know, we never wanted a standing army. We didn't want a permanent navy. But we didn't think about having to defend our people over in other places. Yeah. And so by 1795, Washington calls for Congress to appropriate money to build a permanent navy. And John Adams executes that plan. That's why he's called the father of the American Navy. And Jefferson gets that. He takes those new ships, loads the Marines on them. They head, as you point out, to not from the halls of Montezuma, but to the shores of Tripoli. And the, the Marines go there. And so the belief was we now have to be able to defend our people anywhere in the world. And this is the first time we, we get a standing military, but it's still not standing. But I, I get what you were saying earlier, though. That's why even though some of these things were starting in 1784, they hadn't escalated to the level that when those guys met in Philadelphia, they would say, actually, we do need a standing. So, so once they got it and once Washington proposed that, is that why now even— you still well, have to go back every two years because of that's the it. that. That's the other thing that prevents a standing military. Even though we have a standing military, because after that, with, with all the Muslim stuff that went through about 1816, that's when we started building base and forts and, and arsenals and permanent Britain, West Point. And, you know, we, we have permanent stuff there. That had not been the policy before. But the other requirement in the Constitution says you have to fund the military from ground zero up every two years. In other words, if you don't, it goes away. We're, we're not going it, to—it's not going to be a permanent institution that goes through. Yeah. Every two—and so we call that today the National Defense Authorization Act. And so every big two deal. years— It's a big deal. Yeah. Every, every two years, we start with nothing in the military, and we fund it. Now, what we're doing is saying, hey, we started building battleships last year. We're going to keep building that, keep funding that. Mm -hmm. But you have to refund everything every two years. And that's the other thing that prevents a standing military. Yeah. So you have civilian control— you have to refund every two years, but in the meantime, as long as we can do that, then it's not a permanent institution that threatens the liberties of its citizens, and we can go overseas in places and defend Americans, or we're supposed to. We're supposed to go defend Americans, but that, that all came from the founding fathers and the view they had of having no standing army that they had to modify once we started defending Americans overseas. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so what do... What do we then do if we're going to restore a constitutional republic? We got to start thinking about our duty as as citizens mm -hmm. and fulfilling that role. Um, you know, there's a lot of areas in the Constitution that speak to what the people are supposed to do, whether it's choosing your leaders, that That's sort right. of thing. And we'll get to a lot of those specific duties uh, later. But these guys specifically told us that if you don't do your job, you're going to lose all these liberties. Yeah. So when people are at home or in their churches or wherever they are studying this. Yeah. They need to think about it in terms of this is doing my part to literally save the nation. This is not a small thing. When you're studying the Constitution, you're planning to save the country. Well, 
the question was asked, you know, since God's going to do all this, why do we have to get involved? Yeah. And there's there's that, always that fun story that's out there about the flood that comes and the guy crawls up on top of his house and he prays, God, deliver me from flood. And, you know, here comes a helicopter. Hey, climb on, we'll get you out of it. Now God's going to send me deliverance. And here comes a guy in a rowboat and they climb the rowboat. I'll get, now God's going to send me. And three of those things. And then finally the waters come and the guy drowns. And he's in heaven and says, God, I prayed that you'd save me. What happened? Well, I sent you a helicopter. I sent you a boat. And, yeah. and you did nothing with it. Yeah. And, and so this notion that because God's in charge, we have to do nothing is absolute heresy from a faith perspective. Yeah. Because there is nothing in scriptures that justifies you sitting on your tail and doing nothing. He has sent us he has a great Declaration us. of Independence, a great Constitution, a great system. And even from a religious standpoint, if everybody in the world is going to come to Christ, why do we need missionaries? Why does he give us the Great Commission to say, you guys go do it? I'll, I'll just do it from heaven. I'll, right. You know, all of that is pure stupidity. But I love the, the way the Founding Fathers dealt with this. John Witherspoon, he himself is a minister of the gospel, and, and these are his original writings, and he deals with this issue. This is the mentality that's been there forever, and, and so he he deals with this hey, look, God's in charge of government. Why should we get involved? Now, in our particular case, we're a stewardship government, but I just want to read you some of the logic that he applied here. Um, you know, people say, we don't need to get involved. God's, God's in charge. He says, shall we establish nothing good because we know it can't be eternal? I mean, your house is going to fall over eventually, so why even build one at all? Why, why, why live indoors? And, yeah. Because it's, it's going to Oh, no, wait. Rot. I remember this one. Why should I clean my room, Mom? It's going to get dirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> that, that same logic. He says, shall we live without government because every constitution has its old age and spirit? Because we know that we shall die, shall we take no pains to preserve or lengthen our life? Now, I'm going to die someday, so I'll never see a doctor in my life. I'll never go see a dentist. Never, yeah. you know, I, I'll eat all the junk food I want That's I'm right. die anyway. So, I, I, yeah. I, something's growing there, but I don't care what it is. I'm going to die anyway. We don't think like that any other area in life. Why yeah. would we think like that in government? And, and that's, that's what he says. He says, far from it, sir. It only requires the more watchful attention uh, to settle government upon the best principles and in the wisest manner that it may last as long as in the nature of things will admit. I mean, it's, it's, so it, it's got to die. I love eventually. that phrase too, more watchful attention. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. friends, this is Tim Barton of Wall Builders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even Hebrews of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, it has the Faith Hall of Fame where they outlined the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. And this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman. Friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com. Because it is going to someday die, you pay more attention right now because it won't last forever. 
But you do want to feel, you know, I'm going to die someday, but I'd rather it be when I'm in the 90s than I'm in my teens. Yeah. So I'm going to do some things to, same with government. Government is not eternal. It will not be eternal. But wouldn't you rather have a government that lasts over two centuries, maybe three centuries, maybe four centuries, than being like France has had 15 constitutions in the same period of time we've had one? Yeah. Or being in South Korea where they've had six constitutions since 1948? Or being in Poland, that if you're 90 years old in Poland, Dave, you, you've lived through seven revolutions and seven constitutions. Wow. Wouldn't you a whole lot rather have it where you don't? Well, that means we've got to get involved. And, and you know, you used use the term duty a minute ago in talking about the founders and founders on duty. And that is a term that, from a faith perspective, and that question was asked, well, since God's going to do it, why do we need to do anything? It is interesting that the term duty is something that is specifically addressed in the Bible. Jesus himself, when his disciples were having trouble doing what he was doing, performing the same miracles, um, they came to him in Luke 17 and said, Lord, increase our faith. I mean, we just can't do it. And his answer to them to increase our faith was he told them a whole parallel about learning to do your duty. If you want to be mature, you learn to do your duty. This is a word the Founding Fathers used repeatedly time and again. Let me just give you some of their quotes on duty. Here's Sam Adams. Sam Adams says, the man who is conscientiously doing his duty, and by the way, the easiest way to define duty is that which you ought to do, whether you feel like it, want to, or anything else. Doing your duty is doing the right thing, whether it's convenient, whether it's easy, whether you want to, it's just doing the right thing, period. So he said, the man who is consciously doing his duty, that is doing the right thing, will ever be protected by that righteous and all-powerful being, and when he's finished his work, he'll receive an ample reward. In other words, God's given you a country. He said, you're the stewards over this country. You guys take care of it until I get back. Luke 19, 13 says, occupy till I come. So do it. Do what you're supposed to. And if you do your duty, if you're conscientious in doing what you can do to make this thing last as long as it can, yeah. then he says, you'll... When you finish your work, you'll receive an ample reward. And that is what we know out of passages, particularly in, in Luke and Matthew, where the servants are called before the master. He said, I gave you trust. Would you do it? And they said, we didn't do nothing with it. He said, you're in serious trouble. We've been given a country. Yeah. And if we decide we're going to check out, we're in trouble. Here's another founding. We've been given those principles. We've been given those principles. John Hancock, he says, and having secured the approval of our hearts by a faithful and unwary discharge of our duty to our country. And this is interesting. He says, if you'll do what's right, your heart will approve it. Your heart will say, you know, nobody has bought into that. You lost the election, but you did the right thing. And so your conscience says you did everything you could. Yeah. He says, and having secured the approval of our hearts by faithful and unwary discharge of our duty to our country, he said, let us joyfully leave our concerns in the hands of him who raises up and pulls down the empires and kings of the world as he pleases. In other words, we don't do our duty because it turns out right. It, God's going to worry about how it turns out. Yeah, every constitution eventually going to die, yeah. but that's all right. I tried to keep it alive as long as I could. And we're going to let God worry about when it all, all dies. And so that's our part. We do that. Here's another good quote from John Jay. Uh, John Jay, author of the Federalist Papers, the Chief Justice U.S. Supreme Court. He said, all that the best men can do is to persevere in doing their duty to their country and leave the consequences to him who made it their duty. You just do what's right. God will worry about how it works out. He says, be neither elated by success, however great, nor discouraged by disappointment, however frequent and mortified. No, we need, to, we need to hear that. Right that's there. that's it. Whether the election goes great or that's the election right. goes terrible, that's we right. still keep keep on keeping on. You know, what, what, what we've said for a long time, and I've been involved in politics a long time, you have too, is, you know, the problem with conservatives is if they lose an election, they'll pick up the ball and go home. 
But the problem with conservatives is if they win an election, they'll pick up their ball. Yeah, they, they get over it in one battle. We, we did not, and, but I love what he said. If you do your duty, then you're not going to have the highs and lows. You're not yeah. going to be elated by success. You're not going to be disappointed by, by frequent and mortifying losses. Back up to the first part of that, that quote again. So, so the, what you started with earlier, a lot of people in the question we got there at Independence Hall is if God's going to take care of everything anyway, I don't do anything. That's the opposite concept of we do everything we can. Right. All that the best men can do, we do our duty, we persevere, knowing he is going to, in the end, take care of everything. Yeah. But in the meantime, right now, I'm supposed to do everything he's called me to do. Well, we get rewards and punishments from him based on what we do, not what everybody else does. Yeah. And so if everybody else screws up the nation and it goes under, that's their problem. But I'm not going to be part of that. I'm going to at least get some some kudos from him. Well done, good and faithful servant, because I got in there and tried to do something. Yeah. As opposed to you, lazy and slothful servant, you did nothing with what I gave you. You know, yeah. that's not what I want to hear. And, and so that's what they understood. Uh, one more. And by the way, he said we must go home to be happy, and our home is not in this world. Mm. And, and that's why people say, oh, you know, God's going to take care of it. I'm heaven bound. Yeah. yeah. He says here we have nothing to do but our duty, and by it to regulate our business and our pleasures. If you're looking to be happy and uninvolved, maybe in heaven, but not here. Yeah. Here, you've got to regulate what you do by your duty. And then Witherspoon said it this way. He said, the sum of the whole is that the blessing of God is only to be looked for by those who are not lacking or wanting in the discharge of their own duty. Mm. So, all right, God's going to take care of it. I don't know how it's going to turn out. In the meantime, I've got to bust my tail to do everything yeah. I can. Every election, and this is, I hope folks make a commitment on this that every time the doors are open for an election, you show up. Yeah. Because right now in city elections and school board elections, it's only three to 6% of Americans show up. Three to 6%. Yeah, we, we think every four three years, I'll go six for out of a Three to six, three so, to 6%. Yeah. And so all this wacky stuff that's going to local and people wrongly think we get healthy from the top down. No, you don't. You get healthy from the bottom up. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the United States Constitution, but just felt like, man, the classes are boring, or it's just that old language from 200 years ago, or I don't know where to start? People want to know, but it gets frustrating because you don't know where to look for truth about the Constitution either. Well, we've got a special program for you available now called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green, and it's actually a teaching done on the Constitution at Independence Hall in the very room where the Constitution was framed. We take you both to Philadelphia, the Cradle of Liberty and Independence Hall, and to the Wall Builders Library, where David Barton brings the history to life to teach the original intent of our founding fathers. We call it the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution because in just a few hours through these videos, you will learn the Citizen's Guide to America's Constitution. You'll learn what you need to do to help save our constitutional republic. It's fun, it's entertaining, and it's gonna inspire you to do your part to preserve freedom for future generations. It's called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. You can find out more information on our website now at wallbuilders.com. Let the torch of freedom You go take your local school boards, you go take your city councils and your mayor's races and your public utility seats. And from that, you create a farm team whereby you start getting good state reps and good state senators who will eventually run for governor right. and Congress. It takes a while to get healthy from the bottom. But it up. works. And it works. And we see it happen. We've seen we've seen it. of this. And we've, we've seen it now in the current environment. Absolutely. And, and so 
your commitment should be one duty I will do is I'm going to vote every time there's an election. I'm going to find out about it. It's yeah. a constitutional amendment election. I don't know what's on the ballot. I'm going to find out. So do that. But the other thing is read, study, teach, know, defend, and assert. Yep. That's our duty to do that. And if we do that, it will make a big difference. Before we close out, can I see that Witherspoon again? Was it Witherspoon? The, the quote that you gave earlier, there was yes. a phrase where he was talking about being watchful. What right was here. It? it was... It only requires yeah, the more watchful, watchful attention. attention. Okay, that's what I, yeah, watchful attention. So that's what we've got to have more right. of in every single area of our And government. he said, oh, because it is going to come to an end someday, we should have the more watchful yeah. attention. Yeah. So he's admitting the fact that it's not permanent, but that's why we're more diligent and more watchful. And that watchful attention, you're right, that's a great well, 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 there you have it, folks. We're going to have more watchful attention in every area of our government. In our next chapter here on, in Constitutional Live, we're going to get into the presidency. How can we have more watchful attention to the presidency and make sure it's constitutional? By studying what Article 2 in the Constitution says about it when we come back here on Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. Well, friends, that is the conclusion of Section 5 out of Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. If you joined us today in the middle of the program, what you have been listening to is a portion of Constitutional Live. It's actually one chapter, if you will, Section 5, we call it, out of uh, this 11-part section of Constitutional Live. So it's a, it's a full DVD set. It's about 11 or 12 hours where we actually walk you through the entire Constitution. And we do part of that at Independence Hall. So we're actually in the room where the Constitution was framed teaching on what happened when they framed the Constitution and what they intended for each of those clauses and, and the different phrases. Uh, then we actually go to David Barton's library, and we pull all these incredible documents off the shelf, and David explains what the intent was. It's just amazing. So you get all of that in Constitutional Live. Periodically, we bring you pieces of that here through Wall Builders Live and give you a chance to learn those things. We really want you to learn it and pass it on. So yesterday and the day before and today, those three days, make up Section 5 of Constitutional Live. Right now, you can go to wallbuilderslive.com. You can grab all three of those programs in the archive section and send them to your friends and family and get them educated. Even better, go to wallbuilders.com, get the DVD set and the workbooks, open up your home, your Sunday school class, at your local school, wherever, and teach people the Constitution. Use the material that we've given to you. We want to equip you to be able to help your fellow citizens learn their duty under the Constitution. That's how we'll restore this constitutional republic. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wobble the Fly. We stand undivided.